giving each other some very unwanted mental images. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome one and all to the first episode of Hand of Pod in this brave new year that is 2021. It's going to be just like 2020 in all aspects, but hopefully just a tiny little bit better, at least, fingers crossed. Um, This is episode 390 overall, since I always mention which episode we're at. And this week I'm joined by English Dan. Good evening. And Santi. Guys. And that's it. Neither, yes, Happy New Year to everybody and, and to you too. Oh, and also my girlfriend here. She's, she's getting quite offended that I didn't mention her and the cat. Uh, if you do hear any rustling in the background, it's because the cat's deciding to try and eat the plastic off the um, enormous amount of cat litter we just bought her. Um, anyway, we've only got three people here today and that's probably by and large a good thing because it means that we can get this over with nice and quickly and, and nice and tightly. And we want to do that because... I mean, we just need to catch you all up on what's happened since we last recorded, really. Um, I'm not going to go through all of the results. or Well, actually, maybe that would be a better way of doing this. Um, but we will bring you up to speed. So we last recorded on the 18th, I think it was, of December. We went online, and I've just checked this, actually, on the 19th We were also happy back then. It was, it was a, a sweeter, more innocent age, I'd say. Indeed it was, yeah. Um, yes. And the main results since then in the championship um, stage of the Copa de la Liga have been, uh, well, in the first weekend were, were wins for Boca and River, 2-1 for Boca away to Independiente and 3-1 for River away to Huracan, um, a win for Banfield over Gimnasia. Then the following weekend, Boca and River both won again, as did Banfield, um, Boca and River both at home to Huracan and Arsenal respectively, Banfield away to Colón. Um, and then this weekend, I was going to say just gone, but of course we're recording on Thursday night. So it was back on all the way back on Saturday, five whole days ago already on the 2nd of January. Um, probably the earliest Super Classico, the earliest competitive Super Classico, at least in a calendar year. In, uh, I'm going to put that out there. I don't know whether it's actually true, but I can't imagine there's ever been one played on New Year's Day that was for points. Um, and funnily enough, coming immediately after, as Santi, I think you mentioned on our WhatsApp group a few months ago, when the uh, fixtures were announced for the, the championship stage, uh, coming after the first ever calendar year since Argentine football turned professional, in which there was no competitive Super Clásico played because Boca and River did not play each other at all during 2020. Um, obviously, exactly. And uh, it, was also, it was also, we should mention, it was the first Super Clásico to ever be played without fans in a stadium, which is still oh, of course, yeah, really hard to believe. Indeed, yeah. Uh, that was a 2-2 draw, and that's the one match that obviously we will talk about in probably a little bit of depth in a few minutes' time. Uh, it was followed the, the next day by probably the best match of the um, the break. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, because uh, I know Santi's got his head in his hands, as I mentioned it, but Independiente lost an absolute cracker, 3-4 at home to Arsenal de Sarandí. Um, 
And then we've had the, since then, we've had the Copa Libertadores semi-final first legs, which finished uh, River turning in one of their worst performances of the Marcelo Gachardo era and losing 3-0 at home in Independiente Stadium to Palmeiras. And then a very dull game last night um, between Boca Juniors and Santos, which ended 0-0. There have also been Copa Sudamericana semi-final first match, uh, first legs. And I'm going to admit right now that I've paid so little attention to um, two things and, and got so distracted, especially by goings on in Washington, D.C. last night, uh, that I'm actually not aware of what those Copa Sudamericana results were. So let me try and get them up very quickly. It is result singular. And we don't know oh, if there's going to be another one because it's in doubt tonight. News had just, just, just come in that um, it's been called off because of an that outbreak official? of uh, COVID-19 cases uh, within Defensa Justicia's camp. Uh, namely, I think uh, Camacho, Piscini and someone else who I can't recall right now. And it's been moved to the 12th of January in Asuncion, which is a really odd decision to hold uh, one game in a neutral ground and another apparently in one of the team's uh, home stadiums. So it's not been changed to a, a single one-off match to cope with this then? It's just apparently, that Bonito's first leg is going to be played in Asuncion, even though it's there. So hang on, Defensi Justicia have had a COVID-19 outbreak and Coquimbo Unido pay for that by having to travel to a different country for their first leg. What the hell is this? When exactly. they were supposed to be exactly. home to so, that's, that's Actually, this, the, the original plan was because um, Defensi Justicia, the, the squad, they got stuck in uh, Santiago because of this COVID-19 outbreak. So the original plan was for Coquimbo Unido players to travel more than 400 kilometers up north to play their home game at Santiago. And now today, only hours before that game has uh, takes place, it has been called off. So I can imagine that the Coquimbo Unido players and the squad and the, the club as a whole are really not happy at all with Gondolor right now. Apparently they haven't heard they're on the way to the stadium. No shit. Yeah. Wow. I uh, <laughs> can't get out of the hotel, but the, the Coquimba team are actually on the way to the to the. No the fucking way. <laughs> uh, at least half an hour ago, that was the case. Uh, my sources tell me. <laughs> well, you, you probably didn't hear it here first, to be honest. If you're at all interested in the Copa Sudamericana, you've no doubt heard that already by the time uh, this podcast goes online. But you, you might have heard it here first if you're not quite so interested. Uh, the result last night, uh, last night as we record, obviously two nights ago, probably by the time this goes up, uh, was Vélez Sarsfield nil, Lanús won in the All-Argentine semi-final. Uh, just looking very quickly at the stats and the run of play, um, that looks to be a somewhat against the run of play victory for Lanús. Uh, the scorer of the goal was, obviously... Does it even need to be said? No, I mean, <laughs> now that I see him, it is. I feel rather silly for even bothering to clarify. But it was Jose Sand uh, about six minutes before <laughs> half time, Walked and about, into the net, about twelve minutes after Christian Tarragona, uh, Belle Sarsfield's goalkeeper. No, I've got that wrong, haven't I? Oh yeah, um, no, it's it's, uh, it's a midfielder. Uh, Christian Tarragona for Belle Sarsfield had had a penalty saved. Um, so yes, that's uh, an unfortunate mm-hmm. evening for Belles. Uh, Dan, you said that you caught some of that match, I think. A little bit. And yeah, I thought Relis played well. They just didn't have that cutting edge up front. There's some 
interesting interventions from what I saw from uh, Ricky Centurion, Ricky Alvarez. The two Rickies uh, looking pretty dangerous, but they just didn't have anyone to poke the ball in the net. As um, as they say, Lautaro Morales, the Lanús keeper, kind of keeps up this tradition of Lanús always happy, having very good goalkeepers. Uh, they always seem to be strong between the posts. And, and yeah, one of the few really good openings Lanús had. Who was on who was on hand? Pepe Sand. Um, basically, the ball fell to him, um, gift wrapped, and he just had to tortoise walk it over the line. Uh, classic stuff from from the old man. Um, and that's going to be hard for, for Villas to turn around because you have to think, you know, Pepe Sand is always going to get one goal in, at least in any game he plays for Lanús. So you'd have to put Lanús uh, and loads ahead. Looking forward to the second leg in that. Yeah, um, I, I think I need to make um, to clarify something. Calling Ricardo Centurion dangerous, I mean, it's it's a little you know shaky, you know. Well, I think in in another sense, it's it's very literally true, um, just not necessarily in a footballing sense. Um, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, let's deal with, first of all, the Super Classico on Saturday, which um, I assume we all caught. It was a pretty good game. We, we've had a, a decent series of good Super Classicos, really, more or less since Marcelo Gachardo took charge of River Plate. And, and I guess, obviously, we've had a, a series of very, very high-profile and uh, high-stakes Super Classicos in that time as well. Um, but they, they've been generally, we've made this point a few times, actually, when the last few have been played while we've been previewing them, um, that they tended to be much better matches than they were perhaps when, I guess not just myself and Dan, but also when to us, uh, when Santi, given his age, started following Argentine football. And more often than not, they were quite poor games. Um, Boca took the lead very early on through Ramon Avila, obviously, in the, the ninth minute um, before River turned it around with two goals in three minutes, either, either side, no, uh, uh, both with headers. Um, from Girotti and, and Santos Borre. Um, two, did this, was, which one was it? I think it was the second one. I, I thought it was quite nicely worked as well. Um, and uh, Boca equalised four minutes to go through Sebastián Vicha. Um, I thought by and large, it was, um, it was a fair result overall. There was a lot of talk in, in the, you know, among the pundits and everything, laughing at the, the possession statistics and and saying that River was so far superior because there was, I mean, the possession statistic was quite something, especially for the away team in, in a match like this. Uh, River had, I think, 71% of the possession um, over the course of the match. Um, but Boca, I thought, did, you know, were very effective with what they did, um, as, as they tend to be, and, and, and picked them out very well and, and played some, I mean, Carlos Tevez's pass in particular for, for Vichas equaliser late on um, was was very nicely weighted and 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 timed um so overall I, I thought that 2-2 was kind of the right result even though it perhaps wouldn't look it if you haven't seen the game and were just relying on the stats I don't know what you two think almost a presage of what happened on Tuesday right for for River yeah in some ways I mean in terms of the wastefulness of, of the chances yeah. certainly yeah it's funny that um uh you you mentioned that that 
watching Super Clásicos in the past, I think uh, 10 years ago, or even five years ago, was really um, hard work, let's call it. Um, maybe it's the fact that, um, I mean, back then there was a lot of pressure, I think, because, um, of course, Boca and River, uh, when they, they had to face Super Clásico, they used to, like, had to um, fight for uh, a tournament, to fight for a championship, to fight for some important, uh, you know, cup or something. And uh, in the in the pre well previously when in the run up to to this particular Super Clásico, I think it would be fair to say that it was probably seen as one of the most irrelevant uh, Super Clásicos ever in terms of what was actually at play. Because, um, well, the, this is, of course, a cup uh, cup uh, competition, not a league competition, not a tournament per se. And the main prize for it is qualification for the next Copa Libertadores, which Boca and River have already attained with the results of the final Superliga. And uh, the fact that Boca and River had to play uh, some very important games midweek in the Copa Libertadores semifinal. So um, on the face of it, there was really nothing to play for. And I think maybe that is the, precisely the reason why it was such an entertaining game because both teams could really just um, go completely loose and uh, just play without any pressure for um, for any you know competition and just knowing that they were just going for the game for the sheer pride of winning a Super Classic and not much else. I guess with without fans in the stands as well, um, putting the pressure on that. That's even more conducive to just doing whatever the fuck you want, playing a, a relaxed game compared to what normal uh, Super Classicos are like. Yeah, that's that's a pretty yeah, that's a pretty big reason as well to why it was uh, such a such an entertaining game, and even considering the fact that. Um, the the players weren't just uh, were really unhinged in terms of fouls as well as as we've seen with the case of uh, of Horman Campusano trying to get sent off twice. Yeah, and succeeding once, um, he should have seen a straight red card in the first half for an elbow to the throat chin of uh, oh who was it Carrascal wasn't it? Um, yeah, and yeah. then actually did see uh, red for a. a pretty meaty challenge on somebody else in the second half. I forget who. Um, but yeah, I mean, even then went off complaining to the referee and saying, oh, what are you, why are you showing me a red card for, for that? When it was, I mean, both of them were about as, as clear cut as you can get in terms of a, a red card foul, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, footballers will always complain about that, won't they? It leaves. Uh, oh, hang on! I'm trying to look at the standings on my on my phone, and then forgetting that I've actually got them up here on my screen as well. Um, but in terms of the the standings in the in the championship zones, then groups um, that that match leaves Boca and River effectively tied at the top, uh, separated by on goal difference um, on eight points each in Group A. Boca have a goal difference of plus four, and Rivers is plus three. Argentinos are lurking very dangerously just behind them, though. They're in third on seven points. Arsenal have four after that 4-3 four, 
uh, win over Independiente, which we will just very briefly talk about in a second, Santi, I'm afraid, because it was such an entertaining game. Um, and Independiente and Huracan have three points each with, obviously, as we said before we left for our summer break, there are two games still to go. Um, or rather, we said before we left for our summer break that when we came back, there would be two games still to go. Um, so it's still anybody's chance to get into the final mathematically, but more realistically, it's between Boca River and Argentinos. And their remaining fixtures are that Argentinos um, are at home to well, Boca. Um, there's, only one game left. there's only one game left. Yes, yeah, sorry, you're quite right. So in fact, it is just <laughs> between these three. Thank you. I was, um, for some reason, looking at the fact that they played four games and thinking, oh yeah, well, there are six teams in the group. That means they're all playing six matches, but of course it doesn't. Um, <laughs> Argentinos are at home to Boca on Saturday. Um, River are at home to Independiente also on Saturday. And... Arsen, oh, all the matches are on Saturday night at 9.30. And Arsenal It's the final match week, so it makes makes sense. Yes, exactly. So if Argentinos beat Boca and River beat Independiente, then River will win the group. If Argentinos beat Boca and River don't beat Independiente, Argentinos will win the group. If Boca beat Argentinos... um, then they will win the group unless River beat Independiente by more uh, because they've both got the same number of goals scored at the moment. So if if River beat Independiente by one more than Boca beat Argentinos, they will finish possibly tied on goal difference, but but River will have scored more goals. I think I've got that the right way around. Uh, Sounds plausible. In group B, the standings at the moment are Banfield on nine points, Tacheres on eight Gimnasia on seven, San Lorenzo and Colón both on four, and Atlético Tucumán uh, very much mathematically out of it on one point, which means that Banfield, Tacheres or Gimnasia will be the teams advancing. One of those teams will advance to the final, and they are all playing on Sunday at 9.30. Banfield hosts San Lorenzo, Colón hosts Tacheres, and Gimnasia hosts Atlético Tucumán. So it's basically just... If Banfield win, then they're, then they're up. And if Banfield don't win, then it depends what Tacheres and Gimnasia um, can do. Gimnasia need Banfield to not win and Tacheres to not win and for themselves to win. Um, and if that happens, Gimnasia will possibly end up tied on points and goal difference by, for Banfield if they're unlucky, um, but probably go go into the final. Um that would be the most Fua El Diego moment of this Maradona. <laughs> Indeed, yes, it would be fitting, wouldn't it? Um, you know, we're all hoping for a, for an Argentinos Gimnasia uh, final, right? Oh, shit, you're right. Maradona's his first club against his last club. That would be great. It would be yeah. epic. What do we think? Who, who do we think the final will involve? I mean, I, I suspect that River are going to go very easy this weekend, given what happened in the Libertadores, which obviously we'll talk about in a bit. Um and um, and therefore might not get the win that they need against Independiente. So I'm going to say... Don't that... be too sure, you know. Independiente, of course, are now managerless, so they will go into this game with absolutely nothing that ties them. True. True. But uh, I, I'm going to say that I, th- I think it's going to be Boca in the final from Group A and... I mean, it's very boring to just say the two teams who are currently top, but I, I do think that Banfield will, <laughs> will get the, the result that they need. You know, they, they've, they've had a really good um, campaign and, and they're playing San Lorenzo, have been very up and down. Um, so I think it's going to be Boca Banfield in the final. What do you two think? 
I'm going to go Argentinos Gimnasia just because I can and I think it would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so you're, you're more leaning towards the want to instead of will. No, I think there's going to be a bit of divine intervention and it will happen. That makes sense. Uh, Santi, what are you going for? Um, to be quite honest, I think, uh, I mean, if, even if even if uh, Independiente will basically not show up for that game, I think um, River might still have their heads right into the the second leg of their their Copa Libertadores clash. They're, it's it's living rent free in their heads, basically. I think uh, so. I fancy Boca to to beat Argentinos, not with a lot, but to, to beat them anyway. Um, against, I think, Banfield. I, I, I think I'm going to agree with you because Banfield just looks so good and basically are the only team that seem to have shown up for this Copa Maradona. Yeah, I mean, they just look solid to me. They, they did lose um, at the weekend 3-2 away to Tacheres, but even that took a 93rd minute winner for Tacheres after Banfield seems to have rescued a point. Um, they're not a team who give up... Um, you know, even even chasing an apparently lost cause. And I think that that's their first defeat in either of the group stages, isn't it? Like, I can't remember them losing a match in, in the first group stage of the... Um... No, and uh, well, the, the, the other big surprise is the fact that Atletico Tucumán, I think they won every single game of their first group stage mm. and now lie with one point. Yeah, 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 how the mighty have fallen. Um now, I did say that we were going to talk very briefly indeed about Independiente Arsenal just because of the fact that there were seven goals and it was tremendously entertaining for the neutral. And uh, and I put it on, to be honest, not really expecting very much and thinking, I think I'd said to my girlfriend, look, if the first half is rubbish, then we don't have to watch the second half. But it turned out that actually the, the whole game was thoroughly gripping. Uh, Santi has claimed that it's the only match that's taken place in Argentina since we last recorded that he hasn't watched, which seems to me to be too remarkable of a coincidence and I think that he's just trying to come up with an excuse to not talk about it. <laughs> no, but honestly, I was, uh, yeah, I was away on a trip and, uh, yeah, signal was dwindling. And uh, I really did not want to, to watch another game of this Independiente side again. Uh, you might remember that uh, on the final episode of 2020, we recorded for Hand of Ford, I was just witnessing live how Independiente were being thrashed in the first half of their Copa Sudamericana tie against Lanús, that was followed with another defeat against, uh, against Boca, uh, which sent uh, alarms into, the, into the, the team when it was very, very uh, certain that Pusineri was going to sign for one more year. Uh, and uh, as manager of Independiente, the board took a, a non-surprising but still quite shocking U-turn uh, and just... Despite all the support they had given uh, Bucineri in the media, they just uh, they decided to just try and test Bucineri for the final three or four games of this of this cup. Bucineri flat out denied denied that, and they said either you and he said either you you renew my contract or I will walk. And effectively, he walked today on the seventh of January uh, the, before the the game against River. So that means that both Bucineri and um, the, the position we call manager here at Argentina, but basically a director of football, Jorge Urrucha, who is, has then uh, went to the media to denounce the fact that he has no job and absolutely nothing to do from his position. And uh, the decisions were all taken by the, by the um, 
I think the board members, uh, he has also uh, resigned to his position. So that means in the, that leaves in the in, in a complete mess without any cups to play uh, in 2021, uh, which will probably mean that they will be forced to sell all the stars again. And uh, if you sum that up with uh, the $20 million debt, they have uh, a number that will certainly rise once they lose or the court cases against uh, their former players who still are requesting money they haven't been paid, I think it's fairly certain that Nebenita will be bankrupt by the end of 2021, and I am not exaggerating this. I really am not. Legally declared bankrupt, you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. that, that would be, um, what, the second time ever after Racing in 2000? No, it's been a few. Ferrer, I think, have been down there. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking goal. second time for a, a big five club, though, right? Ah, uh, yes, yeah. I think so. Um, I mean, the, will... the stream just doesn't look any any brighter, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Um, I will give some props from that match, however, to Ramiro Luna, who came out of it as man of the match. He scored Arsenal's last two uh, goals to put them... Just trying to work this out. 3-2 ahead and then ultimately to win the game with seconds to play deep in stoppage time. Um, he is a midfielder who had previously been playing for Midland and have played for various other clubs around the lower leagues in Argentina. Um, Midland are the, the club who, if you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely to have heard of them or read of them um, on an in-bed with Maradona um, post that I wrote several years ago on Alfredo Di Stefano turning out for them on loan in inverted commas for um, a couple of, of matches uh, in between his spells at Mijon Arios and Real Madrid. Um, but they are a, a stalwart of the lower divisions in Argentina. And Luna had, had been signed for them, I think, a couple of weeks ago over, over the summer break and on loan from them for 18 months and announced um, his arrival I think it was his first match. It might have been his second match um, with those two goals to to help win it for them. So an eye to a player to keep an eye on, an eye to keep a player on um, during 2021. Now, I think we're, we're recording on my Zoom account today and it's not um, a professional paid for Zoom account like Tony's one is that we normally record on. So we are limited for this first half, but I think we still have time judging by my time. No, it's, it's just been, I just been uh, announced by the, the Zoom, by the Zoom application that today it's unlimited. Oh, is it? Because I've still got occasionally 40 minutes popping up in the top left of my corner. But in that case, let, let's just try and plow on and we'll see what happens. Um, let's talk about the Copa Libertadores semifinals. We're not going to bother keeping you up to date. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll very quickly run down the standings, but we won't go through the results um, in the two... Um, participation groups let's say the, the teams who finished in the set in the bottom half of their their first round groups um because this is to decide the teams who then get to play off against each other to then play off against the losers of the final um of the championship zone to decide on the sudamericana spot for 2022 um so those groups at the moment group a is rosario central with 10 points union and defensive justicia with seven each lanus with five aldo cb three patronato one and Group B is Newells and Vélez both have nine points and they're the only two teams who can qualify from Group B because Racing have five, Estudiantes four, Godoy Cruz four, Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero have two. So uh, the relevant fixtures for that one are that Central, who top Group A, 
are visiting Lanús. Unión and Defensa y Justicia. Unión are at home to Patronato. And Defensa y Justicia are at home to Aldo City. For some reason, if the website I'm looking at at the moment is right, it's 24 hours after Unión have played. So they'll have an advantage over the other two. I don't think that's right. They must have made a mistake. It's not going to be anyone else but Central, I think. I mean, they're three points ahead. Yeah. Six or eight goals ahead and goal difference. It's pretty much. I mean, Lanús are capable of springing the surprise, but you would think in between the two Sudamericana semi-final legs, it's not they're going to have bigger fish to fry, right? Um, I mean, they'd have to win three 0 if my stats are right, or at least by three goals. Yeah, Central need a heavy defeat because I've just realised they had the goal difference as well. Central have got plus eight and Union have got plus two, so pretty much central in that one. And then Newells and Belles in the other group. Newells are visiting Racing, so, you know, they're going to win that one. And Belles are at home to Godoy Cruz. So it's essentially which of Newells and Belles um, can win by more goals. Newells Who can begin, win bigger, yeah. Newells I, begin I, with I'll a, say Vélez, probably. Yes, but Newells begin two goals better off. Their goal difference is plus five to Belles is plus three. Um, so... That, that that could be an interesting doubleheader to watch, actually. When is that one? Those Those two are at... 20 past seven on oh they're 24 hours apart as well if this website's right no both on saturday uh, okay in that case yeah the, it's wrong that, that's that's obviously yeah so 20 past seven on saturday evening that, that could actually be quite entertaining if they're, they're overly bothered about it um anyway it's a biggie the libertadores semi-final first legs I, i've given the results already but in case you can't remember what i said about 20 minutes ago river lost three nil at home to palmeiras on um, Tuesday night and Boca drew nil-nil at home to Santos on Wednesday night because today is Thursday and it was last night. Yes, I've got my days of the week right here. Um, Gents, what did you make of those two matches? I think that was... um, You said a few minutes ago that it was probably one of the worst performances you have ever seen from uh, Gajardo's side. I didn't agree, but... um, it was just so, uh, well, it was just so clouded, clouded, I think, by the by the sheer amount of individual and um, individual mistakes, I think, from, from their players. Not just in the goals, where we have seen Armani just give them the, the first goal, then um, Rojas basically letting himself lean on by, by Luis Adriano, but who then just um, ran straight towards goal and... Uh, finished beautifully against uh, Armani, and then in the third one, where Carrascal was uh, in, was basically possessed by the spirit of Campuzano and just did one of the most idiotic fouls I have ever seen uh, against uh, against another Palmeira player, which I can't quite remember who it was. Gabriel no. Menino, it was the was New it, Brazil was it, right back. No, I think it was I think it was Gustavo Scarpa. I think no, it was, it was Menino. Trust me, it was Menino. I've looked it up today uh, for writing an article. Right. Uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, I trust you. I trust you. Uh, well, it I'll was him. Say, I've made the, the point team. elsewhere that this is... You know, they call him the Colombian Neymar. Neymar. It's probably like the most Neymar thing I've ever seen him do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I, mean, I guess, yeah. I'd say it was, it was more uh, more of a Pepe thing, like the, the centre-back. I think he, he was sent off for something really, really similar for Real Madrid against Getafe. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was really shocking to see. Just I, I couldn't understand, I think, what was going on back then. But 
the reverse defensive and individual and um, just um, abysmal mistakes also on the ball were, weren't just limited to these three particular um, incidents. Even when you, when you watch River in possession, they were just really static and really just, they, they never moved from, from their positions. And uh, every time they tried, a, they tried a, a vertical pass, it was just so easily cut out by, by any Palmeiras opposition. And every single time they had the ball, it, it turned straight up into a, Intra Palmeiras counter attack. So it's it was really startling to see that, and um, especially in the second half, I think the first one was dull, but not this horrendous uh, from from River. But still, it's I mean it was startling. I, it seemed like the players just weren't in the game, you know, like mentally in the game, and uh, and yeah, it will take a lot from them to recover from this from this. Uh, yeah, from this blow, and uh, even Gajardo said that um, they need uh, one of those days in football to to turn this around. It, and now it's up to them to see if they can take that performance by the scroll of the neck. Yeah, I would. Um, I, I I still feel like River, as a team, as a sort of footballing unit, are probably the. The, the best or one of the best sides on the continent, but they've had serious problems for 12 months or so, at least now in terms of actually finishing a significant number of the chances that they create. Um, you know, when you look at the stats for their games, they've often, as, as they did in the super classic or dominate possession. Um, and it's not unusual to see them have a, a significant number of more shots from fairly decent positions often as well than, than their opponents, but they just, they, they don't have somebody who's quite clinical enough. I, I do like uh, their forwards, especially uh, Rafael Santos Borre. Um, and they've got a couple of young kids coming through who are, who are quite good. But they don't, since Lucas Prato kind of went off the boil and obviously has now um, joined Feyenoord uh, on loan um, to try and, and regain some of his form. Um, since that happened, they haven't had anybody who's kind of leading the line and just sticking the ball in the net um, ruthlessly. And the other thing that, that kind of links in with what you were saying, Santi, about um, mistakes on the ball is that even before he got sent off, Carrascal was having one of those games where you just, why take two touches when five will do you know the same job and run you into a worse position so that your shot ends up getting shanked into the stands rather than shooting from a, a better, you know. There were a couple of instances where he got the ball in the box and you were like, right, one touch, steady yourself, bang, shoot. And he was like, no, I'm going to take it around this guy, and then I'm going to try and take it around him again. And, oh, okay, the chance is gone now. Um, it was just, uh, it was, you know, frustrating um, to watch as someone who doesn't particularly give a toss, but would, as uh, everybody listening knows, I'd, I'd rather River win than, than don't win when I'm watching them. Um, and, yeah, it was just kind of a, a very strange performance for a side who who we know are, are much better than than they showed yeah i'd say i think they started well they showed some very nice football in the in the opening minutes um i don't think it was a three nil game to be honest um that result was was quite flattering on on palmeiras who were very solid gave up very little at the back um and took their chances something that uh, River obviously couldn't do. Uh, they did lose their heads, especially after the second goal. They just went all over the place. Um, 
But I think it's worth mentioning, you know, for a team like River, it's it just gets so hard at the moment, you know, especially in such a weird uh, Libertadores like this, which has lasted almost a calendar year now. And, and for a team like River, who just always have to sell their best players. I mean, you think from the moment this Libertadores started to, to now, they, they've lost Martinez Cuarta, their best defender by quite a long way. And, and you know, you have to start against a team again, as dangerous as Palmeiras, Javier Pinalo, who's 37, going on 55. Uh, Robert Rojas, the only Paraguayan defender in history who has to be told by his coach to tackle. Um, you've also lost Prato just now, who, yeah, he might have been a little bit out of form, but he's a guy that's shown in the big games. He can come up and score very important goals. You've, you've lost Quintero, who just gives you that you know, that creative edge. Um, they lost Nacho Scocco, who, again, was on the fringes, but you chuck him in, yeah, more than likely he's going to he's gonna get you a goal. I mean, there's a lot of players to lose in a single campaign and to, and to still be competitive. And I don't know if, you know, River shine all the, you know, throughout these six years uh that Gacharo's been in charge, that they can always bounce back, they can bring the new players in, they can renew, and and we'll see if they can do it now. I mean, um, I agree that this result was was a catastrophe, if only by the result, and in kind of in a in a lesser degree because of the performance that accompanied it. And we'll have to see if they can bounce back from it because. I think more than the result, more than the performance, it was kind of this feeling that, you know, this could be the end of the line. I mean, how do River come back from this after so many years of being able to, to you know, to regroup, remould and bring in new players? I mean, I think that's, that's going to be a tricky one for River looking, you know, looking into 2021 and, and beyond. Indeed, yeah. Um, we've got a question about whether River can... Uh can turn it round so I'll, I'll leave my thought on that until uh for a few minutes but Boca versus Santos was a rather less eventful match uh oh, I th- that there was a very half-hearted appeal I think at one point for a Santos penalty which didn't look particularly like a Santos a penalty. a bit more than half-hearted Sam I, I must admit that oh, it was more than half-hearted from Santos point of view. about it yeah but um I mean I, I don't think it was and it was one of those where if it had been given, then I don't think Boca could have had too many complaints. But the fact that it wasn't given shouldn't leave Santos with too many either. It kind of was just a bit of yeah. a... Yeah. Uh, it's one of those really weird ones that's sort of difficult to categorise, but I just no, tend to fall in agreement. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're given, sometimes they're not. Yeah, that's, that's what I'll say. In my opinion, I think uh, Santos can feel hard on by, basically because it was just... Um, even if contact wasn't exactly like um, um, it wasn't exactly clear, I think um, the fact that it was just such a such a silly move, I think from from Izquierdos, just wait until the the, the center of player, I think it was Marino, had had uh, had touched the ball and uh, some, I think about a second passed and before he. Um, after he touched that ball, and then he he just uh, makes the challenge. He he hits him on the knee. 
even if he, I think the fact that Mourinho really exaggerated his fall and his rolling around may have um, influenced the decision not to not to to call the penalty. But I think uh, Santos may feel had done by. I think, especially given the the caliber of penalties that have been called um, in similar situations. I think. Hmm. Okay. That's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I can see that. But um, overall, I, th- I thought it was more of an a- attempt on the part of the coverage to kind of try and create a controversy and some talking points around what was a fairly unremarkable match. Um, oh, for sure. Any sort sure. of drama, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that Boca will be having, you know, not conceded an away goal. Um are going to be fancying their chances now in the second leg. If, if they can, especially if they can score early, obviously that, that's fantastic for them. But even if they just keep it tight as the match goes on, Santos are going to be getting a little nervier um, every time in, yeah. in, in in the second leg, which is on the 13th, which is next Thursday, next isn't it? Um, and I think uh, I think that that was exactly what Boca went for. I think um, they... I do have the the, the theory that uh, they might have been influenced by the result, by the river result. Yeah, I and, thought that uh, as well while I was watching it. Yeah, I think it was it was very clear, and uh, that that result really played uh, a part in Boca's really conservative approach. Uh, even Russo's changes were pretty um, edged towards that uh, that line of thinking. And uh, and yeah, uh, it was uh, they would just try to just play the uh, play their the cards in this way and uh, try just try to avoid uh, conceding any any sort of uh, of a way goal that would just uh, mess things up. But um, yeah, once they once they travel to to Sao Paulo, I think um, the affair will be similar in, but maybe the the roles will be switched. I think. Indeed. Uh, we'll find out next week. I'm going to call a very quick halftime break now before we go into listeners' questions so that you can listen to some lovely music, listeners. Um, but don't go away. Okay, moving on to listeners' questions then, straight in. Uh, Peter Strum says, can someone explain why Cardona didn't start for Boca against Santos? When he came on, things were starting to happen. I I think... Cardona is one of his players, right? I mean, you miss him when he's not there, but he infuriates you when when he's there. I remember the first leg back in the quarterfinals against Racing, he he played... I think at least sixty minutes, and and he was shy. So he's that kind of you know that kind of player who he can turn it on, and sometimes he looks better off the bench than than when he starts. But but there are reasons why he's not an undisputed pick in in Russo's team. I don't think you can really uh, complain about it. No, and also yeah, I, I mean, go on, something. Yeah, I think it might be associated with the, his physical uh, attributes. I think he's a big lad. That's true. Maybe denied him from playing an entire ninety-minute game 
uh, in a similar way to why Juan Fernando Quintero was more of an impact sub for the Rivers team, uh, for the best uh, River team, I think, under Gallardo, um, than a player who might start from the beginning and just uh, influence the game for the whole 90 minutes. Yeah, um, I think it's also worth you know, just revisiting what Santi and I were saying just a minute ago about Boca's approach and how it was affected by what had happened to River the night before. Um, that probably plays into it as well because the big news uh, when the lineups came out was that uh, Diego Gonzalez was going to be playing in midfield for, for Boca. So, you know, by not putting one of their attacking midfielders on, uh, they were able to... Sorry, I'm getting distracted because the cat's managing to open the bedroom door, which is a terrifying new development. Um, they, they were able to, to be that little bit more solid. Uh, George Woodward says, "Is there are there any public plans or hints about the form or dates for next season yet?" Uh, now the answer to that is yes. The extended answer to that is that if you are a Hand of Pod Patreon supporter, which George is not, but I'm going to say thank you, George, for giving me the opportunity to remind people of this, um, you'll be able to hear all about them because that's what we're dedicating. Uh, our Hand of Pod Extra episode to this week. If you want to become a Patreon supporter, it's very easy. You just go to patreon.com slash Hand of Pod and pick your level uh, to decide how much money you'd like to give us. And you get uh, lots of extra content each month. Um, now, we can give you some detail now since the question has been asked. Uh, the new season is going to be kicking off on, it says here the 14th of February, but I'm just going to check that that is indeed a Friday because it might be the, that might be the Sunday and that's the cap finally managing to get through uh, the door in case you're wondering what that crashing sound was. Yeah, uh, the 14th of February, Valentine's Day is the Sunday, so it will be presumably kicking off actually on the on the 12th of February. Um, it will consist of two groups of 13 teams each um, initially, and then we will get into the rest of the stuff and into a bit more detail uh, later on on Hand of Pod Extra. Um, and it's going to run until May, apparently. Uh, not yep. year-round this time. Um, because of the Copa America. Of course, yes. Uh, Guy says, can River turn it round against Palmeiras? They can. They have the ability. They they have the players to do it. But it's going to be very, 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 very difficult. And I don't see it. No, indeed. And I think that third goal... Um, could have just made it a little bit too much. If if any team can do it in any competition, then it's it's River in the Libertadores in you know the last they few have years. Done that, but, um, uh, as a matter of fact, not oh, in yeah, this I mean, not in this uh, specific uh, instance, but they have done that. I, I think against uh, was it Jorge Wilstermann where they were three yes, nil was, down yeah. in the first leg, and then they went and scored eight in the second. Yes, that's unlikely to happen this time, um, but. You know, perhaps don't bet against it. It is the Libertadores after all. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, Perfect Tommy says, do River start to finally take a domestic competition seriously, given that the Copa is now in doubt? I don't think so, because of too, the nature of the late, domestic competition. A, I mean, they've got to put their best players out next week against Palmeiras, so they've got to rest their best players on Saturday or whenever it is, and, and that's the last match, unless they get the win and get to the final, so... Yeah, it's it's a moot point now. I think. Yeah, I'd largely agree also, with that. It's it's barely an, an it's barely a, a tournament to just you know um, give a damn about maybe. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if if it was uh, coming towards the final stages of a, a meaningful league championship, then maybe they would. But as it is, it's not a competition, as, as you mentioned earlier, that anybody really gives a toss about. And even less River and Boca, who are both already qualified for the Libertadores next this year. Anyway, um, Test Match Nige says, what are your thoughts on the apparent turnaround in thinking across world football that nil-nil is an okay result for the team playing away in the second leg. In the past, it was certainly seen as an advantage to the side playing at home. I'm hopeful that Boca can win next week. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it clearly uh, is is something, that, that, that line of thought is one that uh, Miguel Angel Russo seems to be in agreement with. Um, the away goal is, is I mean, well, when, when were away goals introduced? two and a half decades ago. Um, and that, that, that caused that shift in thinking and it, it, it was supposed to create more entertaining uh, legs. And in many ways, it, it, it it's killed them. And I think we've seen something quite similar, really, in, in the Libertadores. It was most obvious in the first couple of years that the away goals were, were in force in, in the mid-2000s when it, uh, when it first came in down here. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, anybody have anything to add? I think... Um... The, the the main argument I think behind the the away goals rule, which was the just how important it was for a team to play at home, I think that's dying. Uh, and uh, the fact that there are no fans uh, in games, I think it has I think it has a lot to do with that. And uh, maybe now the only the only reason in which uh, playing at home has a certain weight to it, it's maybe one teams play your games in Lima or La Paz where then there are some uh, considerable physical changes I think but when, when there are no fans in, at games I think it's just really missing the point and uh, we may see the death of uh, of the away goals rule maybe in the in the mid to long term perhaps but uh, but yeah I think it's rather pointless at this point I'd, I'd like to see it happen because I just I don't really agree with the away goals anyway I mean don't agree with them sounds a bit silly because they exist but uh, I, I think it's a slightly daft um, system um, but yeah uh, Jamie says has there been any talk at all about the possibility of small numbers of socially distanced fans being allowed into stadiums in Argentina as we have seen happen in Europe recently uh, short answer no medium-sized answer um, good luck keeping them socially distanced if they're in the stadium at all uh, regardless of what the rules are uh, Arsenal Le Sarandi, for example, hey. that would be a good pilot project. Um, Vélez, maybe. <laughs> I thought something like that was coming. There are a couple of sides who could, um, who could make it happen. A longer maybe, answer. Maybe we, we, could use a, we could use a system uh, similar to what uh, the Premier League was trying to implement, but uh, in regards to, like, number of socios. Yeah, true. But the longer answer is that we're, we're probably heading back towards something like a lockdown um, in the next month or two possibly anyway uh there's a curfew being introduced quite soon again and also it's worth mentioning that in in at least in buenos aires um and this is a bit of a technicality because it hasn't been respected fully but uh people are supposedly not allowed on public transport um still unless you're a, an essential worker um so obviously that you know you can't just assume that everybody can get to the ground uh, by walking or or has their own car to drive themselves there. Um, so it's a 
it's a tricky one, but the answer to the question is is no. Um, Joseph Sexton says, what's the best knockoff brand of Fernet in Argentina? I understand that the brand that everybody outside Argentina has heard of and that we don't like to say because they wouldn't sponsor us is out of reach for many. Um, now, my answer to that would be that the one that we normally drink when we are all together in person, um, which is 1882, that's the only time you'll hear that brand name mentioned, um, is the the best of the rest and is also more expensive than the others, but it does have the advantage of actually being drinkable, which in my experience, almost none of the others are. Having said that, since we entered lockdown back in March, um, I've become quite partial to one that's sold in a little uh, agroecological um, local produce place around the corner from me, which is more expensive, but it's it's actually rather nice. And it's called Fenet Benet, B-E-N-E-Y. If you get hold of that stuff, uh, it's lovely. Gents, any thoughts? You were, you were going to say Vitone at some point. No, Vitone is disgusting. Vitone is... <laughs> This yeah, drain cleaner. Vitone is, is a very oh, shallow it. step up from from Capri, which is Oof, the most Capri horrible is. thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> have you ever drunk it. the Sam? Have you Go ever on. drunk the premixed ones? I no, ah. and I have no intention There's of doing so. A whole new world of flavour waiting for you out there. Mm, well, <laughs> it's going to be waiting a long time. La Fernanda before it encounters me. Um, yeah. Uh, Tom Robinson says, who is more deadly, Pepe Sand or La Petisa? <laughs> <laughs> so a yeah. bit of background needed for this one. Um, on Was it on New Year's Eve or on the 30th of December? Um, I think the 30th. Yeah. 29th, yeah. 30th, I think. Night of the 29th, morning of the 30th, possibly. That sounds about right. Um, Argentina finally legalised abortion. Um it was previously only legal in, in cases um, of of rape or I think where the mother's life was at risk. And even then it was quite difficult to actually secure one. Um, but it, it's now been been legalized and uh, La Petisa became a bit of a meme because there was a one, I want to say guy, he must have been, I don't know, maybe your age, Santi, maybe a little bit older, sort of early to mid twenties, um, yeah. who, who gave an interview saying, uh, I've got, was it 10? He was one of 10 siblings. And he said to yep. his, his mum, because he couldn't believe that his mum was in favour of legalising abortion. So he said to her, well, would you have aborted any of us? And she just very matter of factly said, yeah, yeah, I would have done. And then she started listing which of his siblings she would she would have chosen not to give birth. I mean, I just have to admit, I assumed that she was listing either the first three or the last three. Like, you know, the, the ones who when she thought, no, I'm far too young to be a mum, or the ones where she thought, well, I've got seven kids already, I don't want any more. Um, but he was, you know, deeply traumatised by this, apparently, even though he mentioned it on national... He wasn't too traumatised not to mention it on national television. Um, and as a result, La Petisa, which was what he calls his mum, apparently, um, became a, a bit of a meme. Um, I still think Pepe Santo. He's probably killed more babies. I mean, they're about the same age as well, aren't they? We, we can <laughs> very possibly yeah liam kelly who is no relation to me says do you think that river not bringing in reinforcements has caught up with them players have left and not been replaced and they're now relying on youth girotti is the latest to impress um he then says bad defending cost them the other night scoring three in brazil isn't as possible isn't impossible although keeping palmeiras out pretty much is um yeah, I mean, obviously they haven't brought in enforcements because of the their economic situation. Um, but the 
lack of a a chance to to replace the outgoings has been a problem for them for sure. Yeah, Quintero going to China and not being able to bring anybody in as a as a sort of as Santi puts it, an impact sub to replace him um, has been problematic. There, there are times when you kind of think, oh, you know, him coming off the bench for the last twenty five minutes or something could be could, could have made the difference there. And the same with Lucas Prato, who just left in a shock move to Feyenoord. Yes, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. Um, I mean, Prato kind of fallen out of favour, but again, a, just a, 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 a finisher is exactly what they need at times, and, and they don't really have one. So, yeah, I, I think that it's definitely played into it, Liam, yeah. Um, those are all of the questions that we've had for today. It's been a fairly short and zippy episode, this one. Um, our first one back but we will of course be back next week to well about this time next week I would think to review the Copa Libertadores semi-final second legs um, and whatever the hell has happened in the Sudamericana by that point I've kind of already lost track of exactly which games are going to have taken place and which ones will still be pending at that point presumably the second leg of Defensivo Defensivo DCMS's Coquimbo Unido won't have been played but the first leg will have been yeah, that sounds right, doesn't it? Because it's been rearranged for the 12th, as Santi mentioned earlier. Yeah. And, um, uh, actually, an update to that story. Um, the Coquimbo Unido players realised when they were on the pitch. Oh, wow. Nobody had told them until that point. Oh. Brilliant. Love it. Welcome to South America. Um, <laughs> but for now, as I said earlier, if you are a Hand of Pod Patreon supporter, you can expect to hear a full... Um, and detailed and probably highly entertaining in our normal style um, explanation of, of how the wonderful new league championship is going to happen. Um, but for now, for the rest of you, thank you very much for listening for another week. We will see you again next week. And goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. From Santi. Bye, guys. And from me. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>